You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this Peach Bowl recap, where Florida basically just destroys Michigan 41 to 15. And joining me for this episode is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, you can probably hear it in my voice. It was a good college football Saturday for the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Yes, that sounds like you met up with some friends and may have imbibed in uh, in various spirits, just like yes. a lot of the other people down there in Atlanta after the game. I think people were apprehensive heading in, and the release after the game was pretty palpable, um, I'm sure, for you down there, but also on Twitter and sort of throughout Gator Nation. It's, it's nice to get a win against a top 10 non-conference opponent. Um, sort of puts a stamp on the season, but also it's been a long time since Florida's beaten a non-conference opponent quite like that. Maybe you know, going back to Ohio State in 2006, um, really being the last time that they demolished a Big Ten opponent like that. So um, good feelings all around. Got to feel really promising about heading into the offseason. And, uh, you know, unfortunately now we've got, what, eight months until, <laughs> until things start again. But uh, looking forward to an offseason where we don't have questions about whether we have a quarterback who can win a game. The question this offseason is going to be, um, who is that guy? Not necessarily do we have him. And that's that's a good place to be. And hasn't been a place we've been in probably 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going on Saturday, they, look, the Gators were ready for this one. Will and, and Gator Nation uh, was ready for it as well. Uh, you were in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. Gator fans, Gator Nation were, were, was everywhere. Uh, got a tailgate with our uh, Harmonic Wood friends uh, there, and the you know, fans were loud during the game, and definitely had some fun after the game. Uh, much like the season itself, uh, this was this this one was fun. Will and hey, look, we've said it time and time again all season, but when the season's wrapped up, we just got done with the last game. You can definitely say Florida football is fun again. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's really sort of, I think, the takeaway from this. And also, the takeaway from the season. I mean, so Mullen ends up his season 3-3 three and three against teams that are going to finish um, ranked in the top 25 of the college football playoff. And, you know, overall, that record has been pretty abysmal under McIlwain and Muschamp. Um, so overall, they're 9-28 and 28 against those teams since Urban Myers last year. So to go 3-3 three and three in his first year with, you know, the 4-7 and seven season last year and the guys coming back from suspension and, you know, Franks, what would you get from him? and sort of all those storylines heading into the year. Um, this was really, I think, sort of the top-end scenario of what we might expect, minus maybe the Missouri game. But, you know, again, when you end the season getting to 10 wins, you end the season beating a 
beating a big time Big Ten opponent. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, for all of his flaws and all of his inability to beat top ten opponents, is still bringing in top ten recruiting classes every year. It's still consistently the second best program in the Big Ten, and so Florida is making its way up. It's a it's a long climb, I think, to to Alabama and potentially even Georgia. But but that climb has to start somewhere, and and it started yesterday against Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, and, and kind of, you know, going back to the whole uh, making it fun again, I mean, that's that's exactly what it was. And part of the fun was beating Michigan, finishing in the top 10, and doing it, Will, like you said, a year after getting throttled by Michigan to open the season and, and winning four games and now winning 10 games. Uh, you know, these types of seasons and, and, and that performance versus Michigan – is the Gator standard. That's what, you know, Mullen brings that up all the time, the Gator standard. And, you know, this was a good way to kick it off uh, for, for his campaign. And look, well, we know the program that needs to needs to take another step. But in year one under Mullen, this is about the best that could have happened. And, and that's what he brought. And, you know, that was the point that you kind of made. Now, I just think it uh, definitely deserves to be to be said again. Uh, year one, it was fun. Florida football is fun again. And, uh, hey, look, we'll get into the what actually happened there in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Uh, Florida and, and Michigan, but before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Also catch us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, much like... Uh, every other game and of course the season going into the season all about the quarterback here and the way to end the, the end the way to end the season here is another solid performance from from the Gators quarterback Felipe Franks the offensive MVP uh, for the Peach Bowl did it with his arms did it with his legs uh, stat recap here 13 to 23 173 yards in the air and one touchdown uh, was pressured uh, a good bit early on uh, but played play turnover free uh, football. Uh, average per pass attempt, 7.1. Average per completion, 12.1 yards. Uh, and then on the ground, of course, kind of where he's uh, uh, part of his game that has kind of elevated his play in the last quarter of the season here. 14 carries, 91 yards, 5.3 yards a carry, a long of 30, uh, touchdown run for about 20 yards as well. Uh, putting, you know, calling some of those plays uh, on, on himself here. So, we, you know, going back to all kinds of quarterback previews before the season, and, you know, it's, it's not an original thought that we had, but we really dove into the numbers of just how much a, a running quarterback is essential for the best in Mullen's offense. So as the season got into the later parts of the schedule, it was evident that, that, that the offense found a big bit of a groove, and that included using Franks on the ground a bit. Yeah, they made the switch after the Missouri game. You could really tell. In the Missouri game, they weren't running him. They were protecting him a little bit. He was missing throws. He wasn't really getting into the rhythm. And then they they started out a little bit tentative in that South Carolina game. And then in the second half, just let it loose. And and Franks, I think, wound up with 16 rushes in that game. And then in the game against uh, Florida State, he was running all over the place. A lot of a lot of read options off of running against sort of those large fronts. And then obviously yesterday against Michigan had 14 rushes for 74 yards, almost the leading rusher on the team, as well as the leading passer. He played really, really well in the first quarter. He had 93 pass yards in the first quarter, averaged almost 12 yards a pass. Um, 
And from there, the passing was pretty ineffective for the rest of the game, except for he did hit the big plays down the field that really made the difference. So the pass to Seontay Lewis that kind of put the game away for that last touchdown. Um, he had a 30-yard pass to Hammond as well that set up a touchdown. Um, but yeah, it was the running from Franks that really set Florida apart. It was the one thing that you sort of looked at and said, okay, Shea Patterson and Felipe Franks are kind of equivalent when you look at their ability to run the ball. And yesterday, Patterson had 10 rushes for five yards, and he opened up the game with a 21-yard rush to start the game and then had nothing from then on. And that, you know, that comparison, really, the 10 rushes for five yards for Patterson, the 14 rushes for 74 yards for Franks, Florida was able to keep the ball moving and was able to keep an extra guy occupied by the threat of Frank's running once they finally decided to turn it over to P Ryan and to Scarlett. Yeah. I don't know where I get, I don't know where I got. He ran for 91 yards. Yeah, you're right. It was 74 yards. He ran for it, but either way, yeah, a big, a uh, big part of the ground there. And as you said, I think, uh, you know, there was, there was the one throw that he, uh, missed deep, uh, deep downfield uh, to, to Jefferson. But, uh, you know, ever since the, the, the Georgia game where we really got onto him for missing downfield throws in the Missouri game as well. Uh, he's even kind of started hitting those uh, plays a little, a little with a little more consistency as well. Uh, but I just don't think it can be stressed enough. Just, just the, I, I think confidence uh, more than anything, not getting rattled uh, like he did uh, at times last year. I mean, look, we, we saw plenty of times where Michigan players were, were, were just basically, Trying to bring him down, they 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 have his arms on the, on his shoulder pads, uh, trying to drag him down. He finds a way to get loose. He's throwing the ball uh, to get rid of the ball and not taking a sack. You know, at times last year it was taking a sack or or not run, or running out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. You know, and it's, I think as the season played on for thirteen games, it was the little things that really added up to make Felipe Franks into a a, a serviceable quarterback and hopefully one that can take uh, the the next step next year with another coaching and more seasoning from Dan Mullen. Uh, now, you know, you can really go into the offseason and, you know, it's not so much learning the playbook now. It's learning the nuances and it's learning the little things and we can work on footwork and well, things to figure out where he can hit that deep ball with a little more consistency, uh, hopefully there. But you know, to me, it was, the, it was the little things that don't necessarily show up on a stat sheet that made the big difference for me with Felipe Franks. Yeah, I mean, you saw some of that in this game where he had multiple options on plays that he could have that he could take. Um, you know, they had that five wide formation with the quad formation down at the on the wide side of the field multiple times. And were able to take take advantage of that, and he had I think he had multiple options off of that, and he seemed to choose the right option every time, depending upon what configuration Michigan was in. Um, you can't give the offensive line enough credit. Now, they had three sacks, Michigan did, but those sacks came on blitzes. Winovich came in one time. There were a couple other times where Franks, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily him holding the ball. It was just there wasn't anybody open, and he mm -hmm. took a sack. Sometimes taking the sack is the right play, right? Cover up the ball, get hit. And the other thing is, is that Florida last year, so they scored a touchdown in the first half on a second and 19. They scored a touchdown in the second half on a, on a third and 20. And last year, they couldn't have gotten a third and 20 uh, against the Citadel. I mean, <laughs> they just didn't have the capability. They and didn't have the it, firepower, and they couldn't block it. And it would have been a play-action play on third and 20. <laughs> well, well, it would have been an awful play call as well. But, I mean, you know, third and 20, they run the ball, right. and Piran rips off a 53-yard rush for a touchdown. I mean, that, that's not – I mean, that's execution at that point. 
and and just the the fact that they're always going to try to convert that first down rather than just saying okay let's get eight yards and punt and and Mullen has sort of brought that attitude that attitude has been transferred to Franks particularly after the Missouri game I think it was basically like you're going to get booed no matter what you do go and go and enjoy it mm-hmm. and certainly in the South Carolina game he did enjoy being the villain a little bit and and you could see the emotion on his face in the interview after this game this game meant a lot to him um, you know and hey congratulations to him because he's taken an awful lot of flack and he's played very well this year. I mean, I think I haven't added up everything. He was above average um, using yards above replacement and using QB rating this year. Um, you know, he was an above average quarterback after being really abysmal last year. And so, you know, if he takes another step next year, floor is going to be really, really good. I, I think people have been waiting for Emory Jones to take to take control or they've been waiting for Franks to to, to be replaced. And, and, and ever since trash came in in that second half against Missouri, you know, Franks has played like a high level starter in the sec. And if that's what we get next year, man, I'm excited. And, and the thing was, you know, go back to that Missouri game and I don't want to harp on it too much there. All in all, now that the season is over with, and we have a whole season to look out for, it was just a bad game. That's, that's really all that it amounts up to. It, it was, it was a, a bad game at a terrible time a week after. You know, the Georgia game wasn't wasn't so good either. Uh, but you know, you chalk it up to that Missouri game was the absolute low point for Felipe Franks, and it really going back and looking at it was really just it was really it was no more than to me it was just just a bad day. Well, and it was the low point for the team. I don't, I don't, yeah. you know, it wasn't as if the defense was stopping yeah. anybody that day either. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about Frank's missing throws. We can talk about missed assignments on the offensive line. We can talk about breakdowns and coverage. All of those things happened yeah. <laughs> in, in the, in the game against Missouri. And, and I think afterwards the players even admitted that they had sort of taken the, the loss to Georgia into that game against Missouri. And so, and Missouri is a pretty good team. And so yeah, you, you, can't, you can't do that in the sec. It's one of the reasons why a team like Notre Dame can make it all the way to the playoff and then gets absolutely demolished it's because they didn't have to do that back to back to back to back stuff they get you know they get navy a week after they play usc or something like that and so um you know in the sec it's different you play teams that are conditioned to take on elite teams every week um and i think really when you're looking at what what we're hoping to see next year i mean you sort of mentioned being more uh, being able to hit the deep pass more often things like that i, I you know I don't necessarily know whether the flaws in the in his game or in or in any of these players' games mm-hmm. are really going to be close. I think what we need to look for is more consistency, right? So the Missouri game and even even within like first halves and second halves, yeah. there's just a lot of inconsistency with the team right now. Now they're still putting up 41 points a game here at the end of the year. So hey, I'll take it, right? I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're gonna put up 41 against against Michigan and Florida State, I mean they're scoring. We haven't scored 41 points in, in back-to-back games probably since like 2009. So, you know, I, I think you take it, but you also say, okay, to take that next step, what do you need to do? It's, I think it's just a matter of consistency. I don't think there's anything that needs to get fundamentally better. I think it's just, you know, not taking the bad throw in the first quarter into the second quarter, not missing the read that uh, that puts you in a third and long. Those sorts of things that that are going to happen from time to time, having those happen less often. Again, the false starts penalties last year that killed them. They've had a few of those this year. Um, they were a pretty penalized team. I think if they can eliminate some of the penalties and they can and they can become a little bit more consistent, this can be a really good team next year. All right, well, so let's include the running backs here to, to get a total of 257 rushing yards. Uh, Scarlett and Piran brought in 180 yards of that 257. 
Then we had a great play call with the sweep to Tony. That was 30 yards there uh, as well. So, you know, got to give it up uh, to this group. You know, it, the, the running backs, the offensive line, you know, it looked like early on that this might be a repeat of last year's game and Michigan come out on those first couple of drives on, on defense and really brought the physicality to Florida. But, you know, it ended up re- reversing and the Gators were the more physical team uh, at the end of the day. So 257 rushing yards while Michigan was only giving up 116 yards a game on the ground. So Florida, you know, dominated uh, on the ground, something that uh, Michigan hadn't seen all season. Yeah, I know they were missing some players, but uh, it, it was more than just that uh, when you when you look at how the game played out. Uh, hey, look, and, and the Gators are averaging 210 yards uh, for the season coming into this game and 257 uh, when it was all said and done. So the, the Gators rushed above their average and way more than the average Michigan was giving up. Yeah, it's interesting because in the first quarter, they really went away from the running game pretty heavily. I mean, there were eight rushes and eight passes, but a bunch of those rushes were Frank's runs. Um, and, and they got down in the red zone. They didn't give the ball to P. Ryan or Scarlett at all. They very clearly put an emphasis on the pass to start the game. And then that completely switched in the second quarter. And some of that was because Frank started to get loose, but some of that was also because they were able to get into those third and four, second and six situations where they could run some of those plays off of the five wide formations and get first downs and move the sticks. I mean, when you look at it, Michigan had three explosive plays in the first quarter and only converted one into scores. There was a 21-yard run for Patterson on the first play. They turned that on that drive a little bit. I'm surprised the replay went Florida's went Florida's <laughs> way on the, on the play with the running back going out of bounds. I think he was out of bounds. I, I think the idea of it being indisputable. Eh. Anyway, but they turned that they turned the ball over on downs. Then they had a 27-yard pass to Zach Gentry on the next drive, and there was a punt. And then a 41-yard pass to Nico Collins, and they turned that into an eight-yard touchdown reception. Whereas Florida settled for field goals in the first quarter. They had a 41-yard pass to Jefferson, stalled in the red zone, a 31-yard pass to Hammond, and then stalled in the red zone. And it wasn't until Franks got going in the second quarter that they were able to punch the ball in the end zone. It really felt a lot like the Florida State game, too, especially Mm -hmm. in that second quarter where you were sitting there watching it going, you know, Last year, Florida was ahead by four points at the half and didn't feel like they deserved it. And you were like, wow, if they come out and play even remotely like they did in the first quarter or the first half, they're going to get blown out. And today or yesterday, it felt the opposite. It felt like Florida had a three-point lead, that they had earned that three-point lead and that they should probably be up by, you know, 10, 14, 21 points at that point and just hadn't been able to put it in the end zone. The exact same thing that happened against Florida State. So again, when we talk about consistency, I think it's not only consistency of the players, but consistency of the play calls. Um, Because you get down the red zone, first and goal from the three, um, you would figure that would be a time when you give the ball to Scarlett and you give the ball to P. Ryan. And they did that in the second half, including on that that beautiful pitch play where where Scarlett was just wide open on the outside, on the edge. Um, You know, they could have put this game away a lot sooner if they'd done that, but hey, you know, they had nine explosive plays in the entire game. That's, I think, the most for the entire year. They had 293 of their 413 yards on ooh, nine ooh. plays. So, you know, th- this was really a story of Florida's defense gave up three explosive plays in the first quarter and gave up none from then on. Michigan's defense gave up two explosive plays in the first quarter, held Florida to field goals, and then gave up another seven. And those seven turned into, what, seven, 14, 21 points. And, you know, that's the difference in the game right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, you brought up, you the, brought uh, up the, uh, the Florida State Florida game. State game. Oh, okay. Well, no, I'll okay. go there. Hopefully go away. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I take I mean, the same I think, thing at halftime saying – 
look, this feels exactly like the Florida State game. And eventually, once they got into the red zone, started converting. He, as you said, hit the big plays uh, as well, though. But uh, let's go back and you know look at you know when we found out Florida was going to play Michigan. Uh, Will we spent we spent a lot of time on looking at this Michigan defense and just how how good they have been all year uh, in the defensive stats. You know they showed that, and then now it also shows how good of a performance uh, this was for the Gators' offense. Uh, we'll go back and uh, Michigan uh, ranked tenth in the country, and only giving up seventeen point six points per game. Uh, the Florida offense scores thirty four points in the game. Uh, Wolverines were number one in yards per game, only giving up two hundred and sixty two point five yards a game. Gators total four hundred and twenty seven. Uh, Wolverines defense was ranked third in yards per play in the nation uh, with 4.2, and the Gators hit big plays and, and had an average of 6.7 yards per play, two and a half more yards per play than, than the Michigan average. So, uh, yes, this defense was you know highly highly regarded. Yes, they were missing some guys, but as I said, I'll keep going back to that. I don't think it made I don't think they would have made that big of a difference here. It probably would have been a little closer game with those guys there. But once this Florida offense found this groove, uh, it, they, they were hard to stop. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan had nine tackles for loss. They had three sacks. Um, you know, that was a 15% tackle for loss percentage um, and 5% sacks. So it's not like they weren't getting into the into the backfield. And that was one of the things that I sort of highlighted in my preview was without without Rashawn Gary, they had had trouble, mm-hmm. trouble getting to the quarterback and they had trouble stuff in the run. And early on, especially, they were in the backfield quite a bit. And Franks was kind of able to throw them out of it. And then to have the added wrinkle of Franks being as effective of a runner as he was really loosened things up along the way. Um, you got to give Mullen a lot of credit for the game plan. I had pointed out that... Um, and, and most people had seen this, that, that Ohio State had run a lot of different crossing routes, and they'd done it by b- bunching receivers in an area and then getting Michigan in one-on-one and then dragging a guy across while they basically had the other two receivers run pick plays. Um, but that's an offensive pass interference a lot of times. And so what Mullen did, and Heward, Heward pointed this out on the broadcast, what Mullen did was he made sure that they threw to Pirine behind the line of scrimmage, which means your receivers are allowed to block. And so he eliminated any concerns that the officials might have looked at that tape or that Harbaugh might have warned the officials to look at that tape and say, hey, watch out for these offensive pass interference calls. They couldn't call it because the the little wheel play to Pirine was completely legal. And so, you know, it, it was really impressive to see Mullen take the – take the tape from the Ohio State game, put his own wrinkle on it in order to make it work for what Florida was trying to do. I mean, how many times have we seen P. Ryan catch a ball as a wide receiver all year? Yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah. think we've seen it at all. Yeah. And all of a sudden in the bowl game, he's out there and he's doing it two key times. They got a third down conversion off of it. And then the next play was the big play to Van Jefferson. And then they got the touchdown on it when they were down in the red zone. They'd been struggling in the red zone. And you could tell that was sort of um, – that was one of the plays that they probably would have dialed up for a two-point conversion had they needed it, um, you know, late in the game if they hadn't already used it in the red zone. They clearly had that as, you know, sort of their go-to play once they once they got into those third and short or third and goal type situations, and it worked beautifully. Yeah, I mean, the the, the play calling in, in, in this game was look, and it, and it was plays to get to the outside because especially going toward the beginning of the game, like we said, Michigan was getting in the backfield a lot. Florida didn't have a lot uh, inside to start the game. Uh, but a lot of the big, uh, a lot of the big running plays, uh, when they when they were struggling, or some of the or some of the big plays and conversions were to get the ball uh, outside, as you said, uh, P. Ryan on the tunnel screen, the the scarlet pitch, uh, the Tony sweep, you know, a lot of those big plays in the, in the game. And you know, Florida wasn't going to that, that. Florida did have success, you know, especially as the game wore on of uh, of running inside the tackles, but it was the outside and that's where the big plays happen or a lot of the big plays happen was because of uh you know you're not going to beat michigan even those guys that they were missing you're not going to beat them time and time again inside and, and uh you know good for uh 
uh, Mullen there to, to to dial up some plays, get the ball to the outside, and use the use the speed that Florida has uh, to get some big plays. Yeah, well, this is something that last year when they hired Mullen, I'd gone back and looked at seeing what he'd done in, in 2008, right before he left Florida. And you could tell that when he was in the middle of the field, he tried to get the ball to the out to his playmakers on the outside. And sometimes that, that meant bunching the formation and then throwing deep into the outside. And and that's what he did. You know, the, the pass to Van Jefferson was a much more bunched formation than the wheel routes to Pirine. And then when Tebow was in charge, what they would do is they would spread five wide and then Tebow would run up the middle if they had the numbers. And then he would hit little slants and all sorts of different things in the red zone to those five wide receivers that they had out there just because they were basically playing the numbers game. And this is the first time I can really remember. Um, this is the first time I can remember I'm putting five wide receivers out there with Franks mm-hmm. and letting him do the same thing. And that sort of indicates that over the 15 practices in the bowl game, they started giving Franks more of Mullen's offense, I think. And that, that five wide set was specific to Michigan, but that's not new for Mullen. I mean, he, the, the wheel route to Pirine, something I haven't seen a run before, but having the concept of spreading everyone out and then looking at what that single high safety is doing and dictating whether you run the quarterback or whether you throw it out wide or exactly what you do. And, and you could see that in the film, the touchdown run for Franks, the 30 or 20 yard run that he ran for a touchdown. That was specifically because the safety came over to take away what they were trying to do with that quad formation and abandon the middle of the field. And that meant the only thing he had to do was meet that, beat that middle linebacker, give a lot of credit to the center Buchanan who got out to that middle linebacker, allowed Franks to cut back. It's an easy touchdown. And so um, Frank's ability to run and his ability to run Mullen's concepts, I think in this game really were the difference maker for the entire game. I mean, this, this wasn't something Michigan could have prepared for on tape. They haven't seen it this year. All right, so the Gators rush for 200-plus yards for the ninth time this season, Will. That ties the – hey, you just mentioned 2008. Ties the 2008 Gators for the highest number of times uh, to hit that mark since the, uh, since 96 uh, there. So uh, and the Gators combined for eight 200-yard rushing games in the whole entire Jim McElwain era, and the Gators had nine this season. So, uh, look, we know – I mean, just by looking at it, we knew the differences uh, – between Mullen and, and McElwain, but uh, there's a stat for you. In, in just one season, 209 uh, times the Gators ran for 200-plus yards uh, and eight times from 2015 to 2017. And with the 257 rushing yards, uh, Florida passed the 2007 Gators uh, for the program's third highest rushing yardage total since uh, 1990. Uh, and then Michael Pirine with 826 and Jordan Scarlett with 776 are the first pair of Gators uh, with at least 775 rushing yards in a season since Elijah Williams and Terry Jackson both hit that mark in 1995. So, Will, when it's all said and done uh, for, the, for, for the season, we thought this run game, we thought they would lean on the on the stable of backs that they had uh, with Pirine and, and Scarlett early on in the season. You had a lot of big runs by Damian Pierce. So it didn't – I don't think it looked quite like we thought it would before the season started, but when you go and look at the numbers, it kind of played out that way. No, I think I expected the running to come from Emory Jones and Katerius Tony back <laughs> yeah. to the quarterback position, and they just didn't do that. They just mm-hmm. said, "Hey, we're going to teach Franks how to run the entire offense, and we're going to we're going to go with that." I I do think we should be a little bit now. Your record is your record, and obviously, um, the record under McElwain, particularly last year, was poor. I do think that we should 
we should preface everything by saying I think Franks would have been better this year, even if he'd been even if he'd been coached by Nussmeyer and McElwain. I don't think he would have been this good. I don't think they would have schemed the way they did. I mean, you could really tell early in the year they were sort of scheming against some of the limitations, and those those limitations have started to get lesser and lesser as the, as the season has worn on. But um, you know, I, I <laughs> you can't say enough about what the staff did. I mean, the, even the play, you know, I diagrammed this in the article that I wrote last night, the, the pitch play to, to Scarlett seems like such a simple play. But I remember two years ago against LSU when they botched almost an identical play <laughs> down in the red zone against LSU and people basically went nuts. Like, why wouldn't you just run it up the middle? Like, why would you pitch it out there? Well, A, it looked disjointed. There wasn't any rhythm. It The play wasn't run very well. So very clearly they hadn't repped it that much. But also just the idea that when everything looks great, <laughs> then then it's the coaches that the coach gets the credit when everything doesn't look great, it, it doesn't. And I mean, I think a lot of that goes to McElwain, but I think some of it just goes to the players. We got to give them a lot of credit for putting in the focus, putting in the effort, and really dialing in for this game. Certainly, they had a lot of fun, and I think Mullen has shown that he enjoys having fun when he's not on the field. But you can tell they paid attention to detail when they were on the practice field heading into this game. They knew they'd been embarrassed by Michigan the last time they played them. They didn't want that to happen again. And, uh, you know, congratulations to the team. Absolutely. Well, if we move to the other side of the ball, hey, going into this game, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was the only one uh, who, who had declared for the NFL. We knew he was going to go uh, leave uh, early. We knew this was going to be his last game of his Florida career. And boy, does he get to go out in style, picking off two passes, returning one for a touchdown to, to cap off a, a great game, a great season, a, a great career for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, a Gator through and through. Uh, really, you know, he, he's orange and blue, of course, running through his veins. Uh, and uh, hey, look, uh, you put Chauncey Gardner in a bowl game, he's going to make some plays. <laughs> Well, it was interesting. They they diagrammed it on the uh, on the actual play or on, on the telecast for the for the first interception, and that's on Grantham. I mean, Grantham had them shift post snap into a different coverage, and it completely confused Patterson, and he threw right into the teeth of where of where Grantham wanted him to go. I think Grantham suspected they were going to try to take a mm-hmm. deep shot, and he called something to bait. Patterson into that interception. Now, obviously, Gardner Johnson has to run it correctly. I mean, he has to make that make that catch on the run and he's capable of doing that. But that's one where you look at the coaching again and say, Hey, they, they put their players in a position to, to succeed and the players executed the second interception, obviously on the tip play, um, you know, Hey, Johnson's Gardner Johnson's in the right place at the right time. He certainly deserves that. And you feel great for him. Um, and, and he played very, very well throughout the, throughout the game as well. Um, but again, I, I think that goes back to where the defense, the defense really made its oats in this game. I mean, so, um, you know, Michigan just couldn't run the ball. They yep. could not run the ball at all, you know. So you look at you look at the running, um, the ru- rush yards. They had 69 rushing yards for the entire game. They had 40 in the first quarter. So they had 29 rushing yards in the in the second, third, and fourth quarter. And you could see. So Florida had to blitz in that first quarter to start, and they had to stop Michigan to start with. So they had C.J. Henderson come on that blitz that that ended one drive in the first quarter. Um, they had Amari Bernie coming a blitz a little bit later in the game as well. But beyond those two plays, it was the front four that was getting the pressure. I mean, there was the one play right after the uh, right after the block punt where, where Kyrie Campbell just basically <laughs> drove the tackle right into, right into Patterson. He's fell down like a rag doll. I mean, that looked like Mark Sanchez out there. And then, and then, the, and then, the, and then two plays later, polite comes around the corner and knocks the ball out of his hands. Um, you'd like to see him recover the ball, obviously, but again, 
after such a sudden change of possession, after a block punt for a special teams, it's been really, really good this year and yeah. uh, probably going to be running some sprints when they get back, when they get back in January for that performance. But, you know, after that block punt, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it, it was not, um, I mean, I think it was 10, seven or no, it was, it was seven, six Michigan at the time. They put that ball in the end zone and it's 14 to six. And you, you can see some heads dropping and things like that to hold them to three at that point, keep it to 10 to six. Franks comes out on the next drive, drives down the field, puts them ahead 13 to 10. I mean, I, I really put a lot of the game changing moments in this one were tied directly to the defense and, and that defensive line, especially, which again, we talk about consistency. It has been excellent in games against LSU and games against Tennessee and games against Florida state but kind of absent in some games as well. And in this game, they showed up and they showed up big. And especially in the third and fourth quarter, we were able to take control. And, you know, Michigan couldn't run the ball and Patterson started started to get happy feet once he got hit a few times. And, and that was the end of it. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the most telling stat for me in this game, Will. You know, I wanted to get a look at it, and it was the, the lack of rushing yards for Michigan. They have 53 yards from their top two backs. And that was 3.8 yards per carry uh, there. Their longest run from their top two running backs, eight yards. Both of them had eight yard, uh, eight yard carry. That was their long. Uh, so, you know, Jim Harbaugh, he's not going to win many games uh, if that's the outcome from his top two running backs. And I know Higgins was out there, uh, but this was still a, a pretty good performance by, by this Cajun defense. And I mean, Harbaugh's, you know, offense is so predicated on, on that run game and, uh, you know, with this Florida defense and Shea Patterson and the Michigan offensive line, they really they really couldn't do enough uh, in, in the passing game. So this was a a textbook way of defeating a Jim Harbaugh offense. Stop the run, stop the big play. Yeah, well, it's interesting because on that first drive, Michigan clearly made an emphasis on getting outside, and I don't recall them getting outside from that point on. So the the play by Patterson, obviously, you're getting outside to open the game. Um, the the run that was called back that would have been a touchdown if he hadn't stepped out of bounds again was getting to the edge, and in fact, he beat David Reese to the edge. And you could see one of the interesting things I think is that Amari Bernie played some linebacker, yeah. and and I and I think having him in at linebacker was trying to combat allowing Michigan to get to the edge. And I don't recall them getting to the edge at all the rest of the game after that opening drive. And, you know, you give up a little bit in terms of, in terms of maybe oomph at the point of attack, if you've got somebody like Bernie at, uh, at, at linebacker, but you certainly gain in speed in that, in that capacity. And so you start thinking about who may step in at the star position for Chauncey Gardner Johnson next year. You got Trey Dean already saying he wants it, <laughs> but, but Bernie, you know, somebody who can step into a linebacker role and has the coverage skills. Um, you know, you can imagine him being in that role as well. Again, I think you go back to Florida and their preparation and what they did to, to prepare for this game. The minute they saw Michigan trying to go outside and take advantage of their linebackers, they had an answer for that, and Michigan obviously did not have a response. Yeah, that's what, that was another point I wanted to make, Will, is looking at some of the players and looking at the way Todd Grantham dials up this defense, if you're uh, if you're any type of versatile player, you're going to find yourself on this field. And, and him finding ways, as you said, Bernie at linebacker. I also noticed when, when Dean was struggling uh, at one point in the second half, he was targeted. Uh, but then the very next play, Chauncey Gardner is out there outside at cornerback so you know this is versatility personified with with, with bernie and chauncey gardner johnson and those, those two guys were on the field at the same time uh, as well because I, I remember seeing i remember seeing bernie line up almost right over the center uh, at one point at linebacker and i was like okay that must mean i was like well where's chauncey at because on the play before that bernie was you know, not in not in the middle of the play he was 
toward, you know, shifted towards one uh, more as an outside linebacker or in that star role. But no, he was on the field at the same time with Chauncey Gardner Johnson. So, and looking at those two guys and, and, and Dean being able to play corner and now saying he can go play nickel as well, you know, the versatility that I, you know, we saw from Gardner, we're seeing from Bernie, we're seeing some from some of these other players. Uh, you know, they got a lot of pieces to work with with, with this defense. Yeah, well, this, I think, is where the redshirt rule really makes a difference. You know, we've talked about it all year long in terms of Emory Jones, and was he going to get his his fourth game, and would he get a lot of run in the bowl game? And obviously, he had the one drive, and that was basically about it. But those 15 practices matter for guys like Amari Bernie, who who can practice the entire time knowing that they're going to have a place in the game plan if it's needed for that game, rather than just practicing with no actual payoff at the end. Same thing when you think about Blake, and when you think about Banks, and you think about Heggy, and those guys on the offensive line who maybe haven't been starters the entire year but are going to have to be starters next year because because you know all, 80% of the offensive line is going to be going on to the NFL and so um you know getting that game getting those reps getting those practices with the game reps on the line I think is maybe one of the hidden things that the redshirt rule is going to allow and and really is something that it seems like Mullen and Grantham took advantage of and and I think it really helped them from a scheming perspective in this game yeah, a couple player, a couple more players. I wanted to sing a lot here on defense. I mean, what a what a season by C.J. Henderson when he kind of absolutely had to have it. Marco Wilson goes down early in the season against Kentucky, and I mean, just I mean, this game showed it. But we all remember the Tennessee game where he, he makes up uh, uh, the tackle for the, the Tennessee tight end that was wide open and forces a fumble there for a touchback. But you know, this play he made against Michigan, where he he, he uh, kind of out of position already. He he had to recover. Uh, got to the receiver in the end zone uh, and, and broke up the pass that you know looked like a catcher or, uh, originally. The referees called it a touchdown. Uh, you look at the replay. C.J. Henderson gets his arm in there and uh, kind of you know shovels the ball a little bit, and, and, the, and the ball hits the ground. But the, the, his recovery on that play is the plays he's made all season, uh, being that number one cornerback when he absolutely had to be. You know, Florida – with Wilson and C.J. Henderson out there, you know they got two number ones. But you know when when Wilson went out, C.J. Henderson you know, had to step up, had to be that guy. You know, locked down half of the field, and uh, just that play yesterday kind of personified the, the season that C.J. Henderson had. I mean, he just showed up time and time again, and and a lot of big plays this season. Yeah, well, not only the big plays. Again, I think it goes back to that consistency argument that last year he had some pick sixes and he and he was in the right place at the right time and he made some big interceptions. But the Florida defense gave up eight yards per pass attempt last year, which was like down in the hundreds. I think it was 108th. This year they were 39th, so 6.8 yards per pass attempt, so significantly better. That's one of the reasons why the defense has improved so much. And the two sort of enduring images for me from the game, I mean, you know, you can look at the the, the interceptions, you can look at the stuff from Franks, all those sorts of things. There were two things I think that really stood out to me. One was after the blocked punt and the safety that Chauncey Gardner Johnson was playing on the kickoff team mm. when it when it was what thirty four to. 15 or whatever whatever it was at that point. And then he gets to pick six two plays later. So this guy who's going to make millions of dollars next year, who decided to play in this game, it's a blowout. He's still out there and he's on special teams. I think that makes a difference. And that really, that really sets an impression. The other thing is, is that on the Gardner interception, the first one where he's bringing it back, CJ Henderson was ahead of him. He was behind him to start and got in front of him to block before the end of that, uh, before the before Gardner Johnson went out of bounds, and in fact laid, laid a hit on somebody right as Gardner Johnson was going out of bounds, and you know you look back at the Tennessee game, chasing back the, the tight end of the fullback or whoever it was in that long play, like 
I remember last year against Missouri feeling like some of the players and Henderson in particular on one deep play just sort of gave up on the play. Um, there's none of that this year. There's absolutely none of it this year. And again, I think that's a credit to the players. I think it's a credit to Mullen. I think it's a credit to people buying into his vision. And certainly you heard that um, heading into the bowl game and you heard that afterwards in terms of the players and their appreciation for Mullen and what he's brought to them and, and how he sort of um, presented himself to the team and really become a leader of guys he didn't necessarily recruit. And it really makes you excited for how he's going to be able to interact and interface with the guys that he does recruit that he's got these close relationships with, you know, for the next two, three, four years as, as they come in. All right. Let's we'll have some players or some uh, key stats here. Uh, we always, of course it was big plays for this defense and that, that was a uh, key in, in, in the, in a blowout uh, here. Jacob Polite tied Clifford Charlton's 1986 Siegel single season school record for forced fumbles. Uh, when it, uh, he, he had a forced fumble in, in the second quarter there, it was Jacob Polite's sixth forced fumble of the season uh, there. So, I mean, uh, is that those six fourth fumbles lead the nation right now uh, with some more other bowl games to go. But as it stands right now, uh, six fourth fumbles from Jacopo Light uh, leads the nation. Uh, and the Gators will again, uh, a five sack performance in this game. Uh, so it, 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 with that status surpassed the 96 and 97 Gators to become the only UF team uh, since 1990 to record uh, five, uh, five plus sacks in five games. I mean, so it's, it, it, Five games where this defensive line, these linebackers, these cornerbacks, you see C.J. Henderson get some sacks in there. Five games this year where they had at least uh, five sacks. Well, you know, before the season, we were wondering you know, if, if they could hit 30. Well, you know, in five games, they had 25. So they, they, uh, they, uh, Todd Grantham's style and the athletes and the speed uh, that they had uh, up the front. You know, we, we were going back to last year and talking about how. You know, Randy Shannon kind of likes it, lackadaisical uh, type of defensive coordinator. Where's the blitz? Where's the using the speed? Where's the using the athletes that you have? Todd Grantham comes in, and this this Gators defense for a lot of the season was a big play, big time defense. Yeah, it's a, it's a credit to Grantham. It's a credit to the players. I mean in order to run the kinds of schemes Grantham wants to run, your players have to be really disciplined. Otherwise, you end up with a bunch of broken plays. I mean, you look at you look at the. Uh, you look at the play against or for the Florida offense, the pass to Siante Lewis. I mean, that's one where Michigan was trying to play a, a coverage that they don't typically play, and they and they got burned. It was the same thing when you looked at them against Ohio State. The minute they went against or went away from the man-to-man defense that they'd been playing all year, there were guys from Ohio State running wide open because um, because they aren't necessarily versatile. So there's something about the way Grantham taught them. And there's something about the player's ability to grasp those concepts that gave him the ability to do that. Now, obviously, when you're getting pressure from your front four, it allows you to do a lot of things on the back end that you can't do if you have to bring a lot of blitzes. And and that was really, I think, sort of the difference in the game is that Michigan had to bring guys in order to get pressure on Franks. When they didn't bring guys, Franks sat back there and had plenty of time. Um, You know, even a couple of times where he threw into double coverage and, you know, he had the time to get it in there, even even if maybe that wasn't the right read. Patterson didn't have that time. He was getting harassed the entire time. And even if he wasn't getting harassed, he felt like he might get harassed. And that, I think, impacted how quickly he got rid of the ball. Um, Certainly, he didn't scramble around looking for the second or, you know, looking for an extra read. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, it's an impressive thing that Grantham's done. I, I was one of those people who said, eh, I think he's a, I think he's a decent defensive coordinator. When you look at the stats from where he's been um, previously to when he's come in, you know, the defenses have, have marginally improved. They haven't gotten a whole lot better. This defense got a whole lot better. 
And I don't think anybody really doubted that that Mullen was going to make the offense better. I think one of the reasons why people like me picked Florida to be a little bit more middling of the pack was because we suspected that the defense was still was going to struggle. And that just hasn't been the case. I mean, all the sacks, all the pressure, all the turnovers, all that sort of stuff has has led to Florida being able to pull out some of these closer games they've been in. And then obviously you get towards the end of the year, if you score 40 points a game, you're going to win a lot of games. It it does make you wonder what would have happened if they'd hired Mullen right after Muschamp. Because yeah. with those defenses that they had under Muschamp, mm. you do have, you do have to wonder, um, you know, how that would have how that would have looked for, uh, you know, with with his offense, <laughs> with Jared Davis and, and Anzalone at middle linebacker. So, uh, but hey, we are where we are, and and it was a fun year, and and uh, you know, certainly the defense showed out in this one as well. All right, and not to be uh, forgotten here. Evan McPherson, Will, uh, perfect on his PATs for the entire year. 50 for 50, uh, not to be overlooked there, especially in some of the close games Florida had. And also finished 17 of 19, <clears throat> 18 of 19, uh, <laughs> if we want to go back to the Kentucky game. Uh, but 17 of 19 officially uh, on field goal attempts. So a true freshman coming in at kicker, Will, and, and the Gators have found them another one. You know, They've had this line of – uh, of kickers, you know, from Sturgis and Pinero, uh, and now McPherson's going to join that that line of, of kickers there. And hey, Florida's going to have him for, for for a few years to come, and definitely a, a steady force out there. And you know, they're going to play some close games, hey, close games year in and year out in the SEC. So McPherson's already a weapon in that regard. Yeah, well, we got one more year at Townsend. So, do they have another yeah. kid coming in a couple of years? Like, do, <laughs> like, did the older Townsend have a kid now who's who's going to be ready to ready to punt in a couple of years? Yeah. But, or can we can we uh, clone them and in eighteen years we'll get them again? <laughs> oh, it just feels like we've had a Townsend punting for like a decade. So, or maybe the Wilbur kids will be ready now. Yeah, that, yeah. Now, there we go. now that Townsend's going to leave after next year. But no, I mean the special teams have been awesome. I mean, you know, again, you look at sort of the way things went in this game in the first quarter, Michigan was really driving and, um, or Michigan was consistently moving the ball and Townsend pins them right at the five and sort of sets the tone and makes them have to go 90 yards in order. And I think that was the play. That was the drive where they got a 27 yard pass to Gentry and still had to punt because they'd been pinned so deep. So, um, and then again, you look at McPherson, when you can send out a kicker and say 50 yards and then it's going to be good. Um, it gives you a lot of different options. It also allows you to go for it on fourth down more often than you would, because you know that if you need the three points at the end of the game, he's going to get it for you. You don't have to worry. Okay. It's a 50, 50 proposition. So I have to play for it now versus, versus being able to go for it on fourth down. They did that a couple of times in the game as well. So, um, I mean, obviously the, uh, whatever they were doing on the, on the punt, um, the sort of little running over to the side that they were doing on the punts is probably something they're going to take a look at on film and try to figure out um, either how to block it better or, or to scrap that and just have him punt normally. But the special teams have been really good all year. Um, you know, it started out excellent. I think they've tailed off a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, particularly on the kickoff returns, I think is a place where um, you can envision somebody like Jacob, Jacob Copeland, maybe taking a step forward on kickoff returns next year. Um, you know, Justin Watkins was somebody who was probably going to do some of that this year. And obviously for, <laughs> for, for uh, much more serious reasons, he wasn't on the team, but um you know, you can see that maybe being an area where they develop next year on the kick returns, the punt returns. Um, Swain did a really good job securing those kicks, but um, outside of the one return that he had, it was it was usually a fair catch or a you know maybe a five yard return. So um, there are areas to improve, areas to become more consistent there as well. But certainly the baseline for a very strong special teams exists. And like I said, having guys like Chauncey Gardner Johnson on the kick return team makes a difference. I mean, when you put your best defensive player 
and you say, hey, you're going to play special teams, I think it sets a tone for the team. And I think it sets a tone that that Michigan clearly didn't have, right? And and we wondered with Gardner Johnson playing and with the guys in Michigan not, um, you know, what kind of intensity would there be from both sides? I think Michigan actually came out pretty intense in that first quarter, but I think once it got to 20 to 10 or, or um, you know, 27 to 10, I think at that point it was pretty much, all right, we're, we're, we're done. Like we had a good time here and, and that's it. And, and uh, I think some of that attitude is reflected in guys like Gardner Johnson playing on special teams. Yeah. And uh, Amari Burton, even I mentioned it after the game too, he said early on in the season, Special teams helped him get adjusted to the speed of the game. You can see the the speed of the game uh, from special teams there. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. You, you, guys that are going to get some serious playing time are out there uh, getting uh, starting. I mean, Damian Pierce. We see him on special teams uh, a whole lot too. Uh, there, so you know, some guys that we know are going to make names for themselves uh, when it's all said and done. That your Gators are playing special teams this year. One and some of the starters uh, from this year's team out there. Uh, as well. So, Boyle, before we wrap this up, of course, some news after the game comes out. Uh, right tackle Jawan Taylor is going to declare for the for the draft. So, when it's all said and done, when this season, the Gators will need to replace four offensive linemen from this year's team. Ivy, Jordan, Johnson, uh, seniors there, and now Taylor, who's now declaring for the NFL draft. So, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, hopefully this year one, uh, this was a new system for these guys. Yes, they had some experience, but you know, besides Buchanan, a lot, a lot of these guys have a lot of playing time. But it was under previously, uh, you know, Jim McElwain's system, and they were able to to get better as the season went on. As we saw, you know, going back after that, you know, since that kind of Kentucky game, the Skater uh, offensive line not much maligned anymore. Uh, not necessarily that as a weakness on the team. Uh, really got better as the years goes on. So I think even though there's going to be four new guys there, this will be their second year under John Hevesy and Dan Mullen's offense. So I think the hope there is, hey, yeah, they're they're not as experienced as the guys that are that are leaving. But with a year in this system, maybe that kind of makes up uh, a little ground uh, that they can already hit the ground running and uh, with, with the experience that they have when spring rolls around. Yeah, I mean, you would hope so. I, I think the other thing that we got to remember is that they've seen this coming. I mean, so they have certainly emphasized the offensive line both last year. Um, they brought in Garage, they brought in Banks, they brought in Blake. And now this year, they've got a bunch of different recruits on the offensive line, blue chip guys who are coming in and I'm assuming are going to have an opportunity to to take the reins on some of those jobs. And more than anything, it's going to be one of those things where I think when you had Martez Ivy, you know, three years ago, McElwain didn't have the ability to yank him out of there. He didn't have anybody else to play, right? So, and, and I think we would have seen that this year had there been any injuries, like the last of injuries on the offensive line really did contribute to the continuity and contribute to how how much how much better they were this year versus last year. But um, you know, a lot of that was Hevesy and a lot of that was Mullen and his play calling and different things like that too. So um, yeah, I think there's going to be some hope that that hey, one year in the system, this is what these guys were able to be. So one year in the system for these new guys, they should be at the same level. I, I think um, you know, Martez Ivy's a good player. Juwan Taylor's a good player. Um, Tyler Jordan is a good player. So um, Fred Johnson's a pretty good player this year. So I, I think um, you hope that you're always improving. Mullen is bringing in a higher level of talent, I think, on the offensive line than has been there previously. But um, but obviously the experience counts for something. I mean, going into the you know going into a bowl game against against Alabama, even if you get your, even if you get your uh, 
your uh, butt handed to you is still is an experience that you can fall back on when you're uh, when you're in this game against Michigan. So I think we'll see some inconsistencies next year. I think there will be some guys getting shuffled in and out as they try to figure out who the right guys are for the uh, for the opportunities. But you know the good news is is it doesn't look like um, it, it looks like the Miami game may not be quite as marquee as we maybe <laughs> thought going into the season. Um, and, and then you look at sort of the early part of the schedule. I think they're going to have an ability to sort of find who they are up front before they really get into the into the difficult part of the schedule. And and so hopefully by the time Auburn's coming to town or by the time they're playing LSU, um, all that stuff is ironed out. But, you know, this is one of the things you deal with in college football every year. If you're any good, in fact, you want programs where your players are leaving after their junior season because that means they're playing well. And if they're not leaving after the junior season, then your team is probably going four and seven. And so you go 10 and three. And part of the part of what goes with that is that when you play really well, the NFL wants your guys. And so um, congratulations. I mean, Jawan Taylor is going to be a first round pick. He's going to make an awful lot of money. Um, Ja'Kai Polite, if he decides to leave, probably going to be a first round pick. He's going to make a lot of money. Um, you know, that's what we want for these guys. They're they're part of the Gator family. We want them to succeed. We want them to get to the NFL. And, you know, hey, the job of the head coach is to bring in those guys behind them to fill those spots and to be able to coach them up. And and so that's always the fun. We wouldn't have anything to talk about if nobody ever got replaced. So <laughs> <laughs> so this year, th- this year's offseason will be all about the offensive line rather than the quarterback. And I can't yeah. Wait, because it it has been a long time since we've gone an off season without having to just harp on the quarterback endlessly, and I'm looking forward to it this off season. Absolutely, Will. And before we wrap up uh, here, you know, one of the main storyline uh, off season storylines last year was getting TC Jefferson and Martez Ivy to come back. So you know, those good. While we're talking about players leaving, those guys decided to come back. So you know, it was good for them to. It was good to get to see them. You know, going from four and seven. Coming back, they could have easily left, uh, went on to the NFL. But, you know, uh, reading some stuff about Ivy, you know, he really, really loves being a Gator. Uh, you hear a lot more from C.C. Jefferson. Uh, so everybody knew that he was a big-time Gator, grew up a Gator fan, always wanted to be a Gator uh, there. So you're good, good on you know, Mullen getting those guys and getting the seniors to buy in. That was a whole lot of talk in the post-game press conferences. Uh, Seante Lewis uh, saw a video of him. He was bawling, you know, crying and getting, giving hugs to a lot of the players uh, on the field, you know, it being his last game. And he gave a speech to, to Dan Mullen kind of on the seniors' behalf, kind of, you know, talking about how much it meant to them and how they wish they had more time with Dan Mullen. So uh, a, a lot of it was uh, – you. Know, a lot of that is lip service, you know, and talking about buy-in and, and what they do in the weight room and stuff. But, you know, do, I, I really do think you can see in year one in Dan Mullen, there is some truth to the uh, quote buy-in uh, that when you when you talk about senior leadership and all that kind of stuff, uh, you hear it, you hear it a whole lot. But I think there's actual results, tangible results to go and look at it for the Gators this year. Yeah, well, you know, winning cures all, right? I mean, these guys yeah. had to walk around campus for an entire offseason hearing about how bad they were, hearing about how they'd been four and seven, hearing about, you know, Florida State making fun of them. And, and you know, I mean, they're not oblivious to this sort of stuff. I mean, they all have presences on social media. They all see um, what people are saying and, and I'm sure took it personally. And so, you know, that probably made it easier for Mullen to get them to buy in. But he has to be the guy who comes in and says, hey, I'm the guy who's going to turn this around. And, oh, by the way, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your yeah. entire life life and i'm sure there were guys on the team especially initially who were like well wait it was a whole lot easier under that other guy <laughs> like like why don't we why don't we just keep doing that and to their credit 
you know, they, they put in the work, they did what they needed to do under Savage. They, they clearly got stronger, especially up front and um, got stronger mentally as well. I think Frank's mentioned after the game that the biggest difference between this year and last year is just confidence that Mullen's been able to instill confidence in him. And I think he did that to all these guys. You know, these are guys who were doubting, you know, you come in as a freshman or you come in as a recruit and you're thinking three years you're in the NFL. And if you look at somebody like Lewis or you look at somebody like Ivy, um, you know, those weren't guys who were necessarily going to get drafted after last year's performance. And so, you know, you sort of feel your dream slipping away, I'm sure, in some capacity. And and for Mullen to be able to bring that back and to be able to bring it back with such a vengeance, um, I, I think it's probably where some of that emotion comes from. And and then also, you know, they've had to be in the trenches where for a while they were the only guys who believed in them. And and now they've got now they've got the fan base behind them. But, you know, after that game against Kentucky, uh, there weren't a whole lot of people who were probably saying nice things things to him on campus. And so, um, you know, congratulations to the guys for pushing through. Congratulations to Mullen for, um, for helping them to push through that and for making the adjustments that needed to be made and, and for um, really making the progress throughout the year that we've wanted to see over the last three years and finally saw this year. I know last year your word was progress for the team and we saw none. <laughs> and this year um, we've seen that steadily. I mean, you know, you look at the team after the games against Florida state and Michigan and you, you say, okay, that's a team that can go, you know, 12 and one. That's a team that has an mm-hmm. opportunity to compete with Georgia. Now, whether they'll be able to beat Georgia consistently or not is a different question, but can they compete? Um, absolutely. And so, you know, the days of losing by 50 points, to Alabama if you make it to the SEC championship game, I think are over. I mean, I think if you, if based on what we've seen this year, um, I think Mullen would have a really solid game plan going in against Alabama. May still get beat, but they're not going to be outclassed and they're certainly not going to be outcoached. And and that brings a level of confidence to the players that I think is going to bode well for Florida downstream. Obviously, there's still a lot of work to do, but but a very, very, very good first step. Yeah, fun season, Will. That's what I said. We'll, We'll Hey, look, we talked about progress from uh, the last couple of seasons. We saw that. We wanted some fun. We saw that uh, in Dan Mullen's first season, 10 wins uh, by the time 13 games rolled around. And um, just, uh, yeah, it did, I, I can't get over just how much fun, you know, going going to Gainesville was this year, the LSU game, uh, and it all kind of capped off here uh, with a win against Michigan. So, Will, uh, you released your uh, kind of review of the game on, on read reaction before we go here. Uh, what else you got coming up on the site? Uh, any uh, kind of season and look back season stuff? Yeah, I'll probably have a look back. I know certainly people have uh, have given me some crap about some of the stuff that I've written that's been negative, um, particularly after the spring game. So I'll go back and look at the things I got right, things I got wrong. Um, certainly um, some broader issue things that I haven't necessarily written about before. So I may take a look at Bryles as the offensive coordinator at Florida State, um, you know, and, and sort of um, you know, obviously we've got national signing day coming up not too far from now. So, so recruiting is going to be on the forefront of everybody's mind coming up as well. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been a really fun season. I've learned a lot. I mean, you know, this is the first year I've had the site going throughout a season. And so I've learned a lot and I think we're going to try to add some components this, this off season. So probably be doing some things with some video and, and some other things. We'll see how people like it. Um, you know, we'll experiment. Some things will probably fail. Some things will go really well, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but it'll be fun. It'll certainly be uh, be hopefully educational. People enjoy it. All right. I don't know when the next episode of Gators Breakdown will be. I don't know if I'll do another one later this week or just wait till next week. But uh, everybody stay tuned and uh, on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. And uh, I'll make sure I get it out there. But uh, well, it's been fun talking about these Gators uh, every week uh, as well. You know, not not just going to games and watching these Gators, but hey, we didn't have to endure speaking about. Uh, the third and long play actions and uh, 
a uh, crazy nonchalant shark jokes and death threats and we're in, we're in a much better we're in a much better place now well cody jones on twitter i saw him he, he said that he thought that McElwain should be involved for the for the miami job because he obviously prefers being closer to the ocean so uh, <laughs> so, so i so i enjoyed that immensely so so thanks cody for that but no man i it, it's a great time to talk about florida certainly we're privileged to be able to do this but i think on behalf of all gator nation i want to say thank you to you dave i mean obviously um three episodes a week of this of this podcast is uh is valuable to people that are out there clearly based on the feedback that we've heard but it's not easy to do it's not easy to take these evenings away from your family and so uh you know i know that just as well as you do but you do it you do it three times and i do it once so so obviously thanks to you man um and uh congratulations on the podcast the way it's grown and look forward to keep doing it during the off season and uh and into next year absolutely absolutely we'll we'll keep growing gators breakdown thanks will uh for, for those kind words there and everybody who i met in atlanta yesterday partied with uh, hung out with uh talked in talked in the stadium with thanks uh for for listening to gators breakdown we will dial it down back down to about one episode a week here during the off season maybe ramp it up around recruiting and all that kind of stuff but uh from here on out to the season till about august will be about one episode a week now uh but uh yeah it, uh, a lot of fun a lot of work uh but all worth it uh when, when they uh when we get to see our gators play well uh, and and discuss it uh, afterwards so all right will anything else Nah, man just go gators it's been fun all right, heck yeah. All right, there we go. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and uh, his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.